Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Francis Lawrence on The Hunger Games, comic book movies, and reuniting with Jennifer Lawrence for Red Sparrow. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to the podcast. What are you smiling at, Sammy? I can see you already have a criticism. Because right in the middle of that passionate intro, you got an email and a little ding went off on your computer. Did it really? I'm going to wear... Um, yeah. I'm going to leave it in because I, I want people say, to know it in and I I'm not know if perfect. They heard it. I'm not perfect, guys. I left my computer open. And yeah, I'm popular. I get emails occasionally. So I was waiting to see if you were going to restart it, but you were uh, you didn't even... I was you so were focused. so in the zone. I was yeah. in, you know how I get in, in the, the, the P zone, the podcast zone. Can you zone. do me a favor one time? Press record before you're ready so everyone can hear you practicing that first line. I don't... Please stop For, reading the illusion. Yeah. It comes spontaneously. Like saying it a couple times in a row, making sure there's a good alliteration okay, in there. I he, want everyone to hear that. You're upsetting me because <laughs> okay. here's the thing. You're really gripping that microphone right now. Because that's what that's telling the audience is that what you just heard is the best version of me doing an introduction, which is really not a good introduction. I hate doing that. Okay? Let's just be open Do about you have it. to? What should I just do? Like, hey, hi, Sammy? guys. Yeah. Hey, know. uh friends out there let us know what you think of josh's opening lines <laughs> and if you think it's helpful to you if right. it's like a little table of contents for you okay or if it's something that uh you know is something that he puts an incredible amount of work into that that's not true nobody's i don't like people i don't like opening this discussion because it's going to be a lot of negativity of send like, it to me send them to me sammy heller sammy on heller Twitter. yeah uh speaking of which we got a, we got a, a nice tweet tweet you wanted to acknowledge I right i want to give a shout out to nikki De, oh my God, are you having a stroke? Deleo? I, well, I'm Jewish. This isn't a Jewish last name, so I'm you having trouble don't make with a it. Pro- don't, don't assume things. At Nikki Deleo, okay. N-I-K-K-I-D-A-L-E-O, okay. who said to us, Josh, that Happy Sad Confused is the only thing that makes her daily commute to the Taconic State Parkway bearable. Oh, Nikki. And that, Nikki, thank you. You made our day. That's very sweet. It yeah. begs a number of questions, though. Um, we only do usually one podcast a week. So are you listening to the same podcast episode like every, every day, Nikki? No, she said she's going back from to the beginning and listening to all of them. (sighs) 200 hours of sheer bliss awaiting you on the Taconic. That's right. 200 hours, give or take. Some are longer, some are shorter. This podcast dedication is going out to Nikki on the Taconic. Nikki. And as always... Uh, Dave Franco and Allison Bree, we know you're out there. <laughs> Just want to give you guys a shout out. Exactly. We, didn't, we didn't forget about you. Exactly. Still waiting for your uh, review. Yeah, anytime now. Uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, reviews, uh, I'm not going to – I share with you something that's not going to be on this special. podcast. Um, we're, I'm going to try to incentivize you guys for, um, for writing some nice reviews. Uh, just let me put it this way. Um, if you wrote a recent review, you might get a nice, fun little treat on an upcoming episode uh, courtesy of a celebrity. Yeah. I, I, Someone no more, much more exciting than you or I reading not, not the so hard, not reviews. So hard. Yeah. Okay, now, okay, now you ruined the whole thing. You ruined the whole thing. You just said what it was. I didn't say what they were reading reviews of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yelp reviews. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, this week's episode, today's episode, is with a filmmaker by the name of Francis Lawrence. Francis Lawrence is a... Uh, he's one of these guys that... that 
you know, he is he's at the top of the totem pole in terms of like big budget uh, blockbuster movies. I mean, you look at his resume. He made his feature debut on Constantine, uh, uh, like a hundred million dollar movie starring Keanu Reeves. Oh, uh. Uh, then he did I Am Legend. He did Water for Elephants with our guy Robert Pattinson. Oh my god, all my favorite people. There you go. And then of course directed uh, three, the last three installments of the Hunger Games series, uh, Catching Fire and Mockingjay Part One and Two. Um, so he's one of these filmmakers that uh, I've been able to talk to on virtually every project over the years. And he is the sweetest man. He is like, I, there, someone that like has to, you know, deal with $150 million budgets and like ginormous movie stars should not be this chill and well adjusted as, as a human being. There's something yeah, wrong there's with the, him. Yeah, there's a darkness in there somewhere. <laughs> I, I'm afraid I don't, did not find it in this yeah. podcast episode. He still is uh, uh, super sweet and very thoughtful. Uh, his new movie opening on March 2nd. This is a nice little preview episode. Got a couple weeks before the movie comes out. Don't worry, no, no real spoilers in the episode except to talk about kind of the premise of the movie. The movie is Red Sparrow. As I said, it, it reunites uh, Francis with Jennifer Lawrence. Um, no relation. No relation, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and she stars, it's kind of like, a, it's a spy thriller, basically. She stars as like a prima ballerina who suffers an accident that happens very early on and then becomes uh, a part of this Sparrow program where she's basically um, using uh, like sex to kind of like get what get information for, out of people uh it's a really it's a hard r movie this is like a this is, this, is a, this is like there are, there are adult themes there's violence there's sex there's nudity there's unpleasant sex and nudity she's <laughs> like i'm gonna do mother and then red sparrow this is what i just and, said to yeah. francis like what is going on I, we need to talk to jen we gotta talk get her back in here <laughs> um hopefully that will happen soon um but uh yeah so that is francis's new movie remember to check out red sparrow in a couple weeks we talk at length about that but about a great number of other things, including, of course, the Hunger Games movies. Um, and yeah, also, Francis, I don't, do you know this? He he directed some of the most iconic music videos that you probably love. What? Like all the big like Britney Spears videos oh. back in the day. Um, did like Destiny's Child videos, Janet Jackson videos. Like That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So he your, really... Did your eyes like glaze over when he started talking about no, no, music no. videos? <laughs> no, no. But, um, but that's where he really made like his, his name uh, uh, in the industry and then moved on to the big ginormous movies. So we talk about uh, that, but we also talk about his thoughts on the comic book movies, mm. uh, Star Wars movies, perhaps uh, his interest in directing a Battlestar Galactica movie, which Ooh. I find very intriguing as a big old nerd. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I kept that, no- that uh, voice on the inside yeah. for the conversation. Yeah, Battlestar Galactica movie. <laughs> I hey. can't wait. All right. Come on. I'm serious. That I'm was sh- my real voice. I'm sure a lot of... Audience members out there are Battlestar Galactica fans. By the way, I probably would be obsessed with it. Yeah. I'm if- the, look, I contain multitudes. I can like the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and I can like Battlestar Galactica. Sammy. Well, aren't you just, just... I'm more evolved than yeah. you, basically. Yeah, you're so cultured. Vote on Twitter on who's more who's evolved. Who's more evolved. <laughs> <laughs> Press one for Josh, two for mm-hmm, Sammy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've watched 12 TV shows in the last week, so it's going to be me. Wait, 12 different TV shows or 12 episodes of a TV no. show? No. That was an exaggeration. I've watched three full TV shows in the last Okay, week. let's do it very quickly because we got to get to the main event. But go ahead. Uh, Shit's Creek, Catastrophe, two seasons of Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under? What What precipitated that? I. Uh, He's got a new show, by the way. Alan Ball has a new show on HBO It was coming. that. I went into an Alan Ball K-hole and I was like, you know what? I never really <laughs> did. Dirty. It was great. <laughs> I never really did Six Feet Under. and mm, Pretty good show. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, yeah. 
Richard Jenkins. You can re- revisit the Richard Jenkins podcast. Well, and he's, he's such a different character. You know, I'm used to the stepbrothers, Richard Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Richard Jenkins. He's, he's, so uh, He's very upset to hear that, by the it's way. Been, it's been really great. All to say... Uh, I'm feeling very sophisticated these days. Yeah, anybody that watches Shit's Creek. That's, that's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I haven't watched it. No dig on Shit's Creek. I'm sure it's delightful. It's laugh out loud funny. Okay, I'll put it on my list. My list is super long, though. Okay. I, I'm in the middle of Mindhunter right now. I did that months ago. So. Okay, well. Yeah. All right. Uh, here is uh, today's episode. Francis Lawrence, remember to review, rate, and subscribe. And perhaps your review will be read by a super famous, cool celebrity that's not Sammy or me. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, please enjoy this conversation with Francis Lawrence. Nikki, drive safe. On the Taconic. <laughs> Mr. Francis Lawrence, welcome to my office. It's Thank good to you. see you, man. It's good to see you. It's good to, to see your your little man cave here. Yeah, what do you think? Does this reflect the Josh Horowitz you've you've talked to a dozen times over the years, or, or what? Uh, I'd say it does a little bit. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I was going to say there's no alcohol, but I see alcohol now. No, of course, there's alcohol. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally inebriated right now. No, not at all. I, I have to say though, I was a little jealous that I didn't get offered a shot at the last <gasps> Mockingjay premiere, but everybody else did. That's oh no. I hold a, a little bit of a grudge, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, we'll do shots at the end of this podcast, okay? okay? Uh, congrats on the new film. We're going to cover a lot, but the new film uh, we should mention is Red Sparrow. Yeah. Uh, stars our buddy Ms. Jennifer Lawrence, Joel Edgerton. You've got quite a cast, actually, in this. Yeah, it's a, a great cast. A good ensemble. Yeah. Um, so, well, f- first, uh, let's just catch up sort of like where we're at in, in our lives and, and, and times right now. Have you caught up on your, your screeners? Or have you come out of like the Red Sparrow cave to kind of enjoy? Yeah, I mean, we finished, yeah, we finished the movie a couple of weeks ago, so I have had a chance to watch some of the screeners, which yeah. has been good. Yeah, there's been some good movies this year. I still have a few more to, to, to catch up on, but yeah, it's been nice. Anything strike your fancy? Anything that blew you away? Uh, this year, for me, the top two are Phantom Thread and Dunkirk. I think those were... Yeah, it's definitely my sort of standout films of the year. Yeah, I could go on at length about both. I mean, Phantom Thread... I feel like it really hit me the second time I saw it, actually. Like, I think it's, um, uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say about it. It's almost, it's like, hey, what has my shorthand been? I feel like it's like, it's like Punch Drunk Love meets like a, a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. It's kind of plays. Wow, Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> Interesting. Don't you think it plays a little bit as a, as a black comedy? Oh, for sure it plays. There is a little bit of dark comedy in there. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Um, and kind of tragic romance, uh, but I, I just thought it was so beautifully made. I'm such a huge fan of uh, of Paul's movies, yeah. and that Johnny Greenwood score is amazing. Yeah, the score is just amazing. The photography is beautiful. Yeah. I think the attention to detail in, in terms of the costumes and and the people working in the building and yeah. just the, the era, all of it, I, I, I loved. And it doesn't surprise me. I've talked to many filmmakers on this podcast. I've had Christopher Nolan here actually for Dunkirk. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that film is just a staggering achievement in what he's, um, you know, it, the, the, the eventizing of movies in, in a positive way, which is something we can talk to about the kind of stuff that you've made, stuff that demands to be seen mm-hmm. on a big screen. And he's using that canvas just as well as any filmmaker out there. Yeah, I think he's kind of doing it better than anybody else. Um, yeah. You know, it was I think one of the things that I really enjoyed most about Dunkirk was that it was just it's such a visual movie. And I don't mean visual for style's sake, but it's like really telling a story visually. Yeah. And I mean, it's almost a silent film and it's just staggering. It's, it's emotional and it's 
epic in scope and um, it's it's sort of an, a moment in history I didn't know that much about so right. to be able to learn something at the same time uh, but just beautifully beautifully done yeah, and fun. also another great score oh yeah 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 well, Hans Zimmer of course yeah. is a regular guy yeah. yeah I mean I feel like um, yeah I always can go back and forth like one of my favorites of the, actually this past year which sadly didn't get a lot of Oscar love was uh, Molly's Game which like I mean I love that Sorkin dialogue etc but, um, but then I think to things like Dunkirk and I think you know, a film that's been referenced many times on this podcast is uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Which is another one I would put in that category where, sure. like, what did that... I don't think he even had a script, right? Like, an infamously, he had, like, hundreds of pages of basically a story storyboards. Boards. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's also one that was meant to see, be seen on the big screen. I think we saw that, a fair amount of us from The Hunger Games saw that in Atlanta in one of those sort of premier digital uh, 3D theaters in downtown Atlanta somewhere, and it was a fantastic experience. You know, I don't think it translates quite as well to the small screen. No. A little bit like Gravity. Gravity's another one of those movies that was unbelievable on the big screen and and not quite as great when I went to go show my family on the small screen. Especially on that one, I would say. I have actually have revisited Mad Max. I think it can still suck you in, but Gravity... You know, for it was the, the term that was used. I remember at the time, and I and I agree. It was kind of it kind of was a ride. It kind of felt yeah. like it's it's like you know to use the cliche terms. It was a journey. It was a ride, but it was that. By the yeah. end, you were you felt like this emotional catharsis, and like you felt, you physically felt exhausted. Yeah, but but brilliant filmmaking. Um, so where are you at right now? You seem relaxed and happy because has your film been like put to bed for a while? Have you been kind of sitting on this for a bit? No, or? I mean uh, it just for a couple of weeks. I mean we finished yeah. it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, but you know, it was a, it was a fun movie to make. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so talk to me because the last time we spoke was probably for uh, Mockingjay Mocking Part Two. Two. Yeah, right. Um, it's been a, a few years, but probably three year gap, right? Which is appropriate for a, a filmmaker think, generally, two or three. What? I think just over two. Okay. Because it was November of oh, so we're barely uh, we in eighteen sixteen, maybe. Okay, so you didn't take much time off. It sounds like. I mean, you. No, no. I mean, this was. I was. I started developing this. I think we were promoting uh, Mockingjay One. I remember having the conversation with the president of the studio after I had read the book and sort of pitched her my take very quickly over the phone. I was standing in the lobby of the Hard Rock in San Diego at Comic-Con. <laughs> Amazing. For Mockingjay. Well, actually, that was Mockingjay 2, maybe. Okay. I think it was for Mockingjay so 2 we did that. that so year, July yeah. of that year, yeah. I pitched her my take, and we started developing it. Uh, and it came, and I started talking to Jen about it immediately, and uh, it came together really quickly. So it's... Um there's a lot to talk about in this film. It's a kind of a, I wouldn't say surprising in some ways, but it's um, probably your first, is it your first R-rated film since, uh, was Constantine? Constantine was R, but it was not intended to be an R. Right. That was, yeah, that, that could have gone either way. This one. That was a PG-13 movie that got an R rating. Uh, right. That's this an, is the, this is a deservedly R-rated yeah, movie. Yeah, this is an adult uh, yes. spy thriller yes. for lack of, I mean, I don't know, is that the genre, is that the classification we put in, yes. into it? Yes. So what's, um, is that kind of like a, a genre that you have always gravitated towards, something that you... Not necessarily. You know? I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of the genre. It was, I, I didn't sort of decide one day, oh, next, I want to do a spy, a spy film the next day, uh, uh, next uh, but it was definitely, I mean, there's been some great spy movies made. Um, I think that's actually one of the tricks with getting involved in a very specific genre. I mean, most of my movies have been kind of mashups, mm-hmm. uh, which makes it a little easier in, in a sense. And you can avoid cliches, I think, in a much easier way. When you get into specific genre, as this is, I think you kind of have to fight those 
desk yep. things as well, you as you progress. And it's interesting because in watching it, I just watched it yesterday. Yeah, it's um, it's an. It, I think I still would call it a mashup in some ways. I mean, like the first like half hour, I felt like I was watching like. A little Black Swan, a Brian De Palma movie, um, and then it kind of uh, it, it swerves into you sort of get a handle on what the narrative is going to be, but it kind of plunges you into it's. I mean, it's got a, a great kind of like opening without ruining anything, kind of like setting up her as this prima ballerina, right? Um, but I mean, are you the kind of filmmaker? Like, what are your your references that you bring up with your collaborators when you're approaching a film? Are you referencing other films? Are you referencing art or what? On this, or? no. I will definitely say I think that there is. Um, I mean, with the ballet in it, I mean, I think people will sort yeah. of parallel a little bit of Black Swan, although it has nothing to do with Black Swan. Sure. Um, I think there definitely is. I'm influenced by De Palma, so I think that there definitely would be some De Palma in there. Um, I think for this one, sometimes I reference films. I mean, when we did Catching Fire, we looked at a lot of Vietnam, you know, war stories and things like that, sort of various things. And that that definitely influenced a lot of the arena. And that in this, a lot of it was uh, photography. So getting together with my production designer as we started to figure out what the world was going to look like Mm -hmm. and making sure that we present it in a way that's not as expected. Because I think when you think of these kind of socialist Russian stories, you think just sort of gray. Right. And the movie's actually quite colorful. And I was sort of really happy once we dove into the research to find that there's quite a lot of color available in that part of the world. And, and we utilize that, but a lot of the references for us was, um, was photography and even sort of, you know, Russian propaganda paintings and posters sort of, you know, post-World War II. It's also interesting. Like it, it, honestly kind of took me a little while to figure out like what time period it was set. Yeah. Is that intentional in terms of like, in some ways it has a very kind of timeless uh, quality. It's, 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 um, well, you tell me what was the approach in terms of like, there's no title card saying what year it is. Um, how much thought process was put into that? Well, that was part of the sort of the, the world creation. I mean, I definitely want it to feel as timeless as possible. Um, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is when there's a movie you love and you revisit it and you see just how yeah. dated it is. Um, you know, it's like, I love the Terminator. You look at the Terminator now, there's just so much kind of dated material and yeah. look and fashion. Yeah. And Every time you watch Wall Street and you see like Michael uh, yes. Douglas with that like giant the, phone on the beach, yeah. you're like, okay. <laughs> exactly. So I, you know, I definitely wanted a timeless quality to it, but I think that the, you know, the sort of locations that we ended up gravitating toward uh, in, in the story leaned us into what could be considered a, a period story. You know, right. there's just a lot of different kinds of architecture in, in both Moscow and Budapest where the movie's set. Um, and, you know, I was interested in showing like sort of multiple facets of it. So this kind of, you know, mid-range kind of government housing and a lot of socialist architecture, but some of the really beautiful, ornate classical stuff, yeah. a few elements of the newer things. Um, but we leaned a little more heavily into the sort of 60s socialist architecture yeah and i think that leans into a, a bit of a period look although it is present day it, it's, it's funny also some in, in some ways like the biggest giveaway nowadays of like the time period it's set in is like, like wait that's not a flash drive that's the what the, the old five and a quarter or the three and a half inch discs like, yes. okay so now i have a ballpark i know where i'm at yes <laughs> um yeah but you know it's interesting the discs yeah. and this is tricky and we actually debated about how much exposition do we put in with the discs but we discovered that the cia um uses discs like that Right. Yeah. They don't want information being passed around on thumb drives because it's too it's too easy to conceal. So they tend to use um, bigger, bulkier things that 
aren't as easy to sort of get in and out. Fascinating. Yeah. So, okay. So this is going to be like the, I'm sure the junket question you're going to get a lot, but like, what is the germ of like, there is, you've already kind of alluded to some of the, the pros and the exciting elements of this, but what was sort of the thing that got you so excited about? I think first yes. off, I read the book and I was, I was really struck by the story of uh, Jen's character, Dominica. Um, I think very rarely in spy movies, and I'm not going to say never, but very rarely do you find a personal story. They tend to be political stories, or they tend to be mission stories, or they tend to, to be sort of gadget stories and tech stories and yeah. things like that, right? Um, and what I really liked about this, and I tend to like stories about lonely, isolated characters on very lonely kind of journeys, mm -hmm. and characters that are sort of put into dilemmas that we as an audience can imagine being in their shoes. Right. Like, what would I do if I was in that person's shoes? I think it's part part why Katniss works in The Hunger Games uh, and partly why I think this story works. And so the idea of a young woman who's a prima ballerina and has this horrible injury and has an invalid mother and has this kind of creepy uncle that works for the, the modern version of the KGB that sort of says, listen, you help me, I help you. Yeah. And gets her sucked into the world of espionage and doing horrible things that she doesn't want to be doing. That was intriguing to me. Yeah. I, I can see a lot of pros, not necessarily cons, but for but but challenging material for Jen to to uh yeah, I mean my god, between this and mother, she's just has a, a I don't know, she's putting herself through the ringer this past year. I mean yeah. this 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 one um is you know physically challenging i mean you know there's you know the, it's exposing in every way in terms of nudity and all that but but beyond that we're talking about some really intense psychological and physical stuff she has to go through yeah. in this torture rape etc like like as, as dark as it gets um but i mean I, i'm curious like what you found i mean the, the gen you met at first is probably what she's probably 21 or 22 she's probably she's 20 20 even okay yeah so she's now like 26 27 something like that is she in a different place that you feel is she sort of like has she matured in some ways or, or that yeah or she's ready for something yeah like this? absolutely i mean you know i thought of jen immediately when i read this i thought she could do it i thought it would be fun to do it with her i like working with her but also i think she's a great actress uh i thought she could look russian but i have to say that as i started to develop it there was something that was sort of stuck in the back of my head and i remember because i've been working with her since she was about 20 years old she used to say she would never do a movie with nudity or, or explicit sexuality. Right. And so I, I kept kind of, you know, I would sort of dole little pieces of information to her over time when we're on press junkets and when I'd see her. And so I was trying to sort of ease her into it, but I was really kind of panicked that she just wouldn't want to do it. But she was just in a completely different place at 26 years old than she was at 21 when she said these things to me. I mean, you know, her life had completely changed her relationships were completely different. Um, you know, the, that sort of very invasive hack of hers yeah. was, you know, that really changed her and changed her perception on things. And so she was, you know, and not without a lot of thought and conversation with me about it, but she was definitely game to sort of push, yeah. push things in this movie. 
I mean, what do you recall of some of the kind of shooting? Again, we don't have to get specifics about the scenes, but there are a number of very intense scenes. Actually, most <laughs> scenes in the film are pretty intense, but the, you know what I'm talking about. Like, mm. what do you recall, like, of atmosphere of working with her? Like, what is what does she? get like I mean because you know I'm used to experiencing you know goofy Jen she's yes. usually in a very good mood and and, and pretty silly uh, around me and press generally um, is it a different Jennifer on the day of of those kinds of scenes or she's offsetting it with no well you know I mean we, we put a lot of work in leading up to those kinds of scenes because we knew what the deal was so when she said yes to the movie I came over to her house and I said listen we have to have a very frank conversation about what these scenes are going to be. And we have to start the communication now about the tone of the scenes, what the approach and the objective is to the scenes. But I also want to be very clear because you haven't done it, what it's going to be like to shoot these scenes. Yeah. Right. And so it's going to seem worse on the day than it will ever appear on film. Cause it's one thing to see sort of glimpses and, or even a little more, but momentarily for seconds on screen and on the day, you're going to basically have to be, undressed for the entire day. Right. And so I started the conversation from the moment she accepted the movie and we talked a lot about it, about the thematics and the approach, but also what the days would be like so that by the time she got to set, it was very easy to talk about. Yeah. She was very prepared. We had a pretty much the same basic crew from hunger games was with us in Budapest. And so the camera operator, who I think has done maybe seven of her, of her movies, because he does the David O movies too. Yeah. Uh, my AD, who's done two, three movies with her now, my DP. I mean, That's when you huge. sort of whittle yeah. it down yeah. to who's going to be on set, it was very familiar, familial yeah. to her, uh, which really helped. Yeah. The other thing that ended up, and this was unintentional that really helped, was that our very first day of shooting, um, there's a scene early on in the movie, which you know, where she goes into a steam room and kicks the There's some violence. Shit. Can I say shit yeah, in your podcast? Okay, like yeah. kid kicks the shit out of <laughs> these this couple. Yeah. And the couple's naked and they're having sex in the steam room and it's nudity, sex, violence, day one. But what was good for her was to see how we as a crew approached the scene, yeah. how respectful we all were, the privacy we gave them, how contained we kept the video village so that not everybody was sort of looking and gawking and all right. of that. And also to see how comfortable those actors were, that it was like, you know, it was work. Is, is that, I mean, the nature of your relationship with her, this is four films in now. Yeah. Um, I would think she's comfortable saying, no, fuck that. I don't want to do that to you. Yeah. Like, right. It probably in those words, almost uh, verbatim, I could see her saying, um, what, uh, what happens when an actor says that to you, you have something like, you know, I, you really believe in a shot or, a, or an angle and it can be nudity or not. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. It could be a line. Um, and Jen says, I just don't agree. What do you, what's your role there? You know, I mean, I really try and Jen is really good with this kind of stuff. Um, and the rest of the cast is too. I really try and put as much out on the table as I can ahead of time. Cause the thing that I hate the most is when people throw you a curveball on the day. Right. I don't mind the questioning of anything ahead of time. And I actually like that because sometimes people catch things and yeah. you know, it's good for the movie. But once you're on the ticking it's clock, like when you're on day. the ticking clock yeah, and yeah. you've got stuff to do and they've had plenty of opportunity to pay attention and, and chime in and they decide to do it in the last minute drives me bonkers right. and I don't do well with it. Got it. Jen doesn't do that. I mean, occasionally, occasionally, like suddenly a line will pop out or her out, out for her, and she'll want to tweak it or yeah. take it out, and and it's usually fine. 
but I've never, I can't remember asking Jen to do something on the day mm. that's surprised her, caught her off guard and she's refused to do it or really sort of come at me. Yeah. She's also, what she's also good at is if she has an issue with something, she'll propose an alt as opposed to the people that just say, say no, no, I won't do that. Come up with something better. Like, well, okay. Yeah. She's like, You're Hey, what if we, <laughs> yeah, she's creative. She's a creative collaborator and yeah. not just somebody that's going to say no. Probably another reason I was just thinking like of the two major collaborators in her <coughs> life, uh, it's, it's you and David Russell, right. Who's a notorious, like, you know, loves collaboration to, yeah. like, or, I mean, you know, I mean, I can't think of a, though, a more different personality than you. I mean, I haven't seen you work on set, but I feel like I, I know you enough to know that you're, you're not a David or Russell for good or for no. bad. No. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but that, I feel like that speaks volumes of her. I mean, I don't know what the common denominator is. Maybe it is. You're both just collaborators in different ways. I think we're like, I just think that we are, I mean, I don't know him well at all. I mean, I've met him before, but yeah. I think we're just polar opposites. And I think Jen has the sort of bandwidth to like and appreciate both things. Right. Uh, I think she likes the way that I communicate and I think she likes the efficiency and I think the kind of organized calm manner of the way that I work and the specificity of it. But I also think she likes the organized chaos, the chaos, the chaos. I think she does. I think there's something for her kind of attention that it's, it keeps her on her toes and, uh, as, as volatile as it may get sometimes, I think it's. It's good. And by the way, you sort of can't deny it. You look at those movies oh, and there's sure. just an energy to, to David O movies. I, I love them. And, and you see what he gets and you're like, his personality comes through. You yeah. Know? There's energy literally in that camera. Yeah. You can feel it. Yes. Um, so well, talk to me just a little bit more generally about like where you were at. I mean, it sounds like you, you didn't really want to waste time after uh, that Hunger Games experience, which was probably a good five years of your life, I would say. It was, yeah. Five years. Five years. That's yes. a chunk. And when you, and, rem, and just remind me when you when you signed on for Catching Fire, it wasn't until you were like what midstream into produ- production that they came to you. You started discussing and, and decided this was indeed going to be a longer term. Well, discussion. it was weird. It actually happened in prep, which oh, was wow. really surprising. So I signed on for Catching Fire um, and jumped right in. I mean, I got hired on a Thursday. I was in the offices on Monday and going. And I remember sort of thinking like, oh, this is going to be weird. I mean, I guess I guess it'll be like you know some of those early Harry Potters where. You know, at some point in my production, there's going to be some new director coming in and, you know, meeting the cast and that'll be weird. Right. (laughs) But I mean, but I don't blame them because they had dated the Mockingjay movie and I'm like, there's no way they'll have seen Catching Fire before they need to start Mockingjay. Right. And it was in prep and Nina, one of the producers came to me and just said, hey, listen, we think, you know, that the collaboration is going really well and, you know. She and John, my other producer in the studio, would want me to stay on if I would consider it. So, yeah. which was really surprising and really flattering. And was there any hesitation on your part? I mean, a momentary hesitation of there had to be a real powwow because there was a moment where Catching Fire was finishing and mock the two Mocking Jays we did back to back were starting. So there's a moment where we were literally doing all three movies at the same time. Right. We were shooting the Mocking Jay <laughs> movies. But while finishing Catching Fire. Wow. And it, that was a crazy, crazy time. So we needed to have a powwow about whether or not that was possible. And I needed to have a talk with the family to make sure they were prepared. <laughs> Ready to lose. With me lose to be for a couple gone. months at least, and then maybe a couple of years. Yeah, oh exactly. Um, but really that was it. I, I liked everybody involved. Yeah. And 
So when you look back at those, uh, or if and when you do look back, I mean, they're three distinct films, but they're yeah. also back to back to back. And just like that was your focus for five years. Right. So I don't know. I mean, are, are you able to kind of differentiate the experiences or does it kind of like all morph into one kind of your you know postdoctorate degree in, in Suzanne Collins? <laughs> I mean, um, oddly, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, Partly because they're they're all sort of different emotional experiences, you know. There was definitely that sort of feeling you'd have if you were on a you know long running television show where you're right. like the same family is kind of together for an extended period of time, and you, you know, even though there's downtime between, you know, at least between Catching Fire and the Mockingjays, you sort of feel like you're picking up where you left off. You know, the first one was just so scary because it was my first one, right? And I didn't know if it was going to do well. I mean, I didn't know if it was going to, you know, bomb if people were only interested in the first one or if it would be reviewed well. And then, my God, what happens if I have to go back to work with all these actors and they didn't like the first one I did, you know, and now I've got 155 days and two movies ahead of me. Right. So that was a very different sort of beast. Um, And then you get to the Mockingjay movies and it's just interesting because each one gets their own, you know, sort of takes on their own life, even though we shot them together. And so... You know, it's weird, you know, and then you have the death of Philip Seymour Hoffman in the middle of it. And that sort of marks it in kind of an emotional way that's very different than Catching Fire. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, you you had obviously a a personal relationship with him. I only met him once or twice. I mean, he's one of those people that like it will I'll just remember that he's gone randomly. Yeah. It's like I have that with with him and like Robin Williams, honestly. Those are like two that like that I, I just like remember like, oh my gosh, they're not a part of this world anymore. And it's just such an unjust like it's a it's heartbreak. It really yeah, is. Yeah, I saved. He um he sent me a really I mean left me a really nice voice message after seeing Catching Fire. And he really, really liked the movie. And I saved it. And at first I saved it because he was somebody that I really looked up to in terms yeah. of acting. And I saved it into the Mockingjay movies. And then when he died, I couldn't erase that voice message. And I, I literally just erased it in December. My dad died. And I don't know why, somehow emotionally, mm. I was ready to, to yeah. erase it. But I had it for, what would that be, four years? Yeah. I mean, did did you have a, a sense that that he was going through stuff on those films, or was he separating at all? You think at the time? Like, yeah, I mean, we knew, but he he seemed great. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the sort of surprise to us all. He really he really seemed great. I mean, we we had heard, you know, we worked with him for three weeks on Catching Fire. We didn't really know him, and he was a bit of a, a sort of an outsider. Yeah, he didn't kind of join in the family fun. I will say. Um, and then it came out that he had gone to rehab or something uh, mm-hmm. while we were in post. And now it was out in the open and he liked the movie. It was a completely different experience with him. And so it was actually far better on the Mockingjay movies than it had been on Catching Fire. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we knew that he was dealing with stuff and that he was trying really hard. But he was good and he was um, invested and he was, you know, working on it and he was fun to be around. Yeah. And, so it was just, you know, really shocking. No, yeah. I mean, I've talked to many who have worked with him, obviously. And I think even in that time period, maybe it was a little, I mean, it was obviously a little bit before, but like uh, talking to Andrew Garfield, who had like a very seminal experience with him on Broadway when he was doing Death of a Salesman. And that, yeah. uh, a guy that just took his work 
so I mean, he didn't do anything half-assed to say the least. No, I mean it was he was, no, he was an actor. not at actor. all. Uh, yeah, still a loss to this day. It's horrible. Um, coming out of of, of those the, those three films um, and succeeding in, in terms of you know delivering what you I, I would imagine you view them as successes both in terms of what the actual product was and also you know it made the requisite money it needed to make etc. Everybody was happy. Did you feel like as a filmmaker? How do you think those films generally challenged you and sort of like prepared you for different adventures, different challenges going forward? Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, I think that it was like, there was a lot to learn. I mean, I learned a ton, A, from, you know, the actors that we worked with. I mean, working with Phil and Julianne and, you know, Woody. I mean, that was an amazing Donald, an insane cast. I learned a ton from them. Um, I learned a lot from Suzanne Collins. Uh, you know, I think she's a fantastic storyteller and she worked really close, closely with us. But it was also, you know, in terms of sort of long-term storytelling, you yeah. know, I was so used to sort of dealing with the two-hour format to really start to think six hours of, of movie yeah. was really different. And to see where they all go and to really think about the dramatic, the separate dramatic questions for each. Um, it was also the first time for me that I truly felt like I was telling a thematically important set of stories. And that's actually the thing that I'm most proud of with those movies. You know, looking back, you sort of see after my my first one, the box office started to dwindle a little bit. And, you know, I also look at it and I go, well, it started to dwindle as the, as the story got Even more, more grim yep, yep. and more thematic. Right. As the sort of fun kookiness of um, some elements of the first and even my first started to go away. The audience dwindled a little bit, right? But it, um, even by those standards, it's it's actually. I was thinking about this when I was knew I was going to talk to you to think about how ginormous those movies were, considering the complexity and the darkness of the material. I mean, the only thing I can I can analogous in, in the last year or two is like Handmaid's Tales, like success. Right. Like I mean, like and I don't in, in sheer numbers, it probably doesn't have the success uh, clearly that that Hunger right. Games did. But at least it's getting like the the residue, you know, the 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 acclaim it deserves. But like you made. Star Wars like size like blockbusters about PTSD and right. and war crimes and just like heavy shit. Yeah, no, and that's look. That's what I'm. That's what I'm really proud of. But the thing is, and this is an unfortunate thing, and I'm, you know, I'll probably always be dealing with this, and this is what I'm getting prepared to deal with now. Yeah, is with the release of a movie, the last taste in your mouth is that sort of public perception of things. Right. And so when, you know, when Mockingjay 1 comes out and only opens to 126 million or something instead of 155, what ends up happening is it's not, hey, it's a success. It's like, oh, it underperformed. And so you get this thing, right? So sort of the last taste in my mouth is underperformance and cash grab because they split the last book. Right. And it's just a, you know, it's, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Well, hey, <laughs> that's you, like you, you had a great time it. making it. You tried to do something right. that's actually kind of important in terms of ideas. And that's like, th- those are the headlines. Well, you could be d- divergent. Divergent even, didn't even make it through. I, know. I mean. <laughs> I know. That's the scary thing. I mean, honestly, that's why, you know, um, I've been working with the writer on a possible sequel to Red Sparrow 2. Sure. Um, the, the writer, Justin, who did the, the first one with me. But, you know, we haven't dated it and right. it's nothing. This is all in the like, right. luckily, hopefully we get to make another one. We'd yeah. love to, but. It's funny. Yeah. It's bizarre to think of, but to learn humility from Mockingjay part two is a, that's a, that's a scary, like reminder that no matter how high you 
you rise in this industry, there's still these bizarre expectations that you can't, that nobody can live up to. And we all like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to get perspective. Yeah. I mean, honestly, what I've, what I've really tried to, to get better at is to really try to enjoy the process, right? Yeah. Tell a story you're really passionate about, um, work with people that you trust and care about and can have fun with. Yeah. Cause the truth is the release and that feeling is, you know, about 30 days of your life right. and the making is two years. Yeah. So and I would hope you also take, take some time occasionally and I'll, and I'll, I'll help you take a step back to like, look at like the films you've been able to make and the, the canvas that you've been able to kind of like play in. And, um, you know, you're on a short list of people that people trust with this kind of scale of filmmaking mm-hmm. and you've, you've, you've delivered, Film after film. Um, sure, I get that. But I also think that, you know, you, with anybody, I think, creative, I mean, unless you're a complete egotist, right? <laughs> I think you look back at your stuff and go, I mean, look, I, in I Am Legend, I would maybe keep the first 60 minutes. Really? Yeah, I would throw the rest out and redo it. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I would. I mean, but it's, you know, it's hindsight. Yeah. So you look at it and you go, you see sort of what people think and you, you know, you look at what worked and why did people go? And did you, did you know that at the time on I am legend or did it take, cause there, there was obviously debate about the ending and you've talked about that and, and, and how closely to hew to the source material. And, you know, there were again, varying degrees of satisfaction from the audience. Um, did it take kind of like reading people's interpretations or hearing what people had to say? Because again, if you look at the numbers, that was a, a huge, it was very, Success. yeah, no, it was very successful. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. But I think that, you know, the, the truth is, is that um, Will and Akiva, who's the writer, producer, and I were really attracted to the weird little sort of character art film in it, which is this guy who's the last man on earth and it's dealing with social deprivation and yeah. survivor's guilt. And, you know, that was what I loved. Yeah. I could give a shit about the infected people swarming his house. Right. And I think that the truth is, is that we were afraid because they were spending 150 plus million dollars making the movie. You can't just make an art film. Like it has to have some, <laughs> so you start kind of adding the stuff to it because, yeah. you know, you feel like you're sort of tricking the studio into letting you make this movie by doing I'll give you that. the zombies. If you and let then me do what the you end up doing up. is, you know, you sort of spoil it. And I think people went for the last man on earth. And they didn't go for the hordes of those zombies. And, you know, in truth, we had a bit of a fuck up with them anyway, digitally, and they didn't look that great on top of it. And so, you know, it spoils the end. Right. Um, and there's still a lot of people that like the movie. Yeah. But was, was there ever, uh, and I feel, I, I've asked you many times and many have, it sounds like it's probably not going to happen, at least with you at this point, if, or correct me if I'm wrong, but an extension, whether it's a prequel or a sequel, was there ever a script or story that you were intrigued with for a time in terms of continuing that story? No, you know, Warner's was really, really, really into coming up with something. And I just didn't know how to do it because I, I mean, what I was just saying, I, I saw very quickly after the movie came out and I went, people went to go see the last man on earth. We've done the last man on earth. He died at the end of the movie. We can't do it again. But people weren't in love with him as a character. You know, yeah. um, it's not Indiana Jones, right. like this kind of iconic character that um, you just want to see again and again and again. Yeah. And it just felt forced to do a prequel. Um, and that was basically we would have been doing Contagion. Right. <laughs> um, and to do something that's a follow up either doesn't have him in it or you have to do something really dumb, which is, you know, scientists have taken his DNA and, you know, re- right. you know. Right. <laughs> reanimated him somehow. And that would have been really dumb. And so I just, 
I kind of bowed God out speed, very guys. quickly. Good luck with that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, have you followed, uh, you know, Constantine was your f- film debut. Uh, we haven't yet seen that character return to the big screen, but there have been some major efforts by Warner Brothers to include him in like a, I don't know what they're calling it at this point, Justice, League, Justice Dark. League Dark. Justice League Dark, yeah. Right. Um, have they ever talked to you about that? Have, would you ever consider, I mean, it would be obviously a different iteration of the character. Is that something that you're curious about? Uh, you mean Justice League Dark or... Yeah. I don't know. I, I I have to say that I have not been that drawn to to comic book stories as of late. I mean, my first movie was one, um, but I just haven't been. I haven't been drawn to them. I don't know why. If if I gave you the the the, the library of Marvel and DC characters, opened the book and said you could reboot do anything with any of them. None of them would intrigue you. There's not one that you grew up with or you uh, definitely not one that comes to the to the top of my head right now. I mean, I can't say that if I read through all of them that I might find somebody that I might find somebody w- that would be interesting, but yeah. off the top of my head now. How many but you I, I have to imagine, again, given the resume, how many have you said no to? How many meetings have you had for like those kinds of Marvel and DC. Properties. I've definitely had a few. I've never had a Marvel meeting. Really? No, I've never had a Marvel meeting with with Marvel people. I have been offered Marvel material at other studios. Got it. Um, <laughs> Fox or Sony? We can okay do some math. Yes, and uh, haven't been interested. And I've had a DC meeting. Got it. But was that? Yeah. I feel like I remember. There, was there like Superman talk very briefly for you? No, no. that was something different. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. No, not me. Um, so and when you, when you say so, uh, do you keep up with the stuff? I mean, have you see, did you see Wonder Woman and Justice League? I saw again? Wonder Woman. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen Justice League yet. Um, I'll probably see it at some point. Yeah, yeah, I saw Wonder Woman. I liked Wonder Woman a lot. Yeah, I thought it was really, it was much warmer and much more charming than I imagined. Um, I had not, at least not that I can remember, seen Gal Gadot on anything, and so I thought she Just was a revelation, fantastic, right? and really, I mean just really surprised me. I had no idea that she was going to be that magnetic and, and, and just lovable. Yeah. I mean, you look at her and you just like her. I know. Yeah. That that, that, there's, I mean, she's beautiful too, but you, there's truth to the charisma uh, arguments. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, so generally do the Marvel films do it for you or is there something about those that is there a sameness to them that kind of like, I mean, you know, like to hear people talk about it, as as up and down as the Warner Brothers films have had, they 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 talk a big game about like kind of giving filmmakers, you know, more purview and maybe Marvel. I don't know. I don't know either. But um, and Marvel, you know, the knock against them sometimes is that they're they're kind of like always very good, but there's a bit of a sameness sometimes. That's to where them. I lie. Uh, I lie, lay. Um, that's where I am. Uh, I think that they all tend to be really, really solid, yeah. and some of them much better than solid, but there is a sameness to them. I have to say the ones stand out for me so far of the ones that I've seen was the first Guardians of the Galaxy. That one knocked my socks off. I yeah. think it felt like an outlier in that world. I think in terms of personality, in terms of originality, yeah. uh, emotion, just kind of all of it came together and a really truly amazing way. Yeah, well, the early word is is very good on Black Panther. I'm optimistic I'm, about yeah, that I, one too. I, what he's going to be a success. Oh my I'm gosh! I'm very curious, curious to see that one. Yeah, I was very impressed. I mean, look, uh, his his trajectory from Fruitvale Station, what he did on Creed, it's it's kind of exciting. It's really exciting to see what he's been doing. Yeah, with. I just have to say, I, w- I wish them a ton of success, but I hope two weeks later they have a big drop off so that we can be <laughs> number one for. 
Besides, there's only the Chelsea. They're still going to be number one. There's room for everybody. Um, yeah, let's hope. <laughs> what about just because we're t- we're getting out about the biggest properties out there? Uh, Star Wars. Were you a Star Wars kid? I mean, you, you, oh, uh, you f- for sure. You I was age. a Star. Yeah, were... yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I saw the first one when I was seven years old. It was at the Avco mm-hmm. um, in LA. I think it was actually the same. I think the same spot that JJ saw it when he was a kid. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was, I mean, I grew up on on Star Wars and loving Star Wars. But, you know, I was a fan of the, I want to say the first three, but that confuses people. Right, right. Four, five, and six. <laughs> Big Attack of the Clones fan, Francis Lawrence on Yeah, <laughs> no, but what killed me, I really did not like those movies. Um, but yeah. my kids love those movies. It's fascinating, isn't it? knocks me out, yeah. I know, my, yeah, my nieces and nephews, they, they love, like, General Grievous as much, and Darth Maul as much as they yeah. love Han and yeah. Luke. It's kind of bizarre. But I have to say, when I saw when I saw JJ's, there was I I teared up. <laughs> Honestly, I teared up out of nostalgia numerous times. Yeah. through the movie. Yeah. Have you seen Last Jedi yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. I thought the last act was phenomenal. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I felt uh yeah talking about the emotion. I was like. I, think, I don't know if I ever actually cried, but I felt like on the brink of tears like six times through that film. It's, yeah. uh, it's impressive. Uh, would you? Is that something that, that is a bucket list? Would you? Could, could you see yourself directing a Star Wars movie? I don't know. I mean, there's there's sort of the geeky side. You know, I have to say it was. Uh, we were doing a score for one of the Hunger Games movies, maybe Mocking J One. I forget what year it was, but we were in London doing it, and it was when JJ was shooting. And I had met him once or twice before, but my producer Nina's friends with him. I think they might have gone to high school together or oh, something. Wow. Um, Everything with JJ goes back to like when he was ten. Yeah, and <laughs> so she just called him up and said, "Hey, we're in uh, we're in London. Can we come by?" And he said, "Sure." And so we went by, and I have to say that is the most I've ever geeked out <laughs> on set. I mean, it's long out now, so I'm sure I can talk about it. I was. You know, probably going to be executed had yeah, I yeah, said, yeah. said anything. But <laughs> you weren't a stormtrooper, I mean, were you? No, I was not in it. I wish, <laughs> my God, that would have been great. But you know, when you see R two D two, rolling around, and Chewbacca was there, and we stood under the Millennium Falcon, and there was, you know, it was just incredible. I mean, we were there for maybe an hour and a half or something. But no, that's amazing. So that side of it, I would say, yeah, it would be fun to do because to actually be in that world and work in that world, but. I don't know. I have a, pro- I have the sort of the problem because you know, Catching Fire was the only time I've ever done a sequel to someone else's first right. movie. So to go into a world that's so built out yep. already is just not honestly that that appealing to I'm me. Sure, that's why Ryan's new opportunity is the envy of everybody. That he gets to turn out a new trilogy and kind yeah. of wherever whatever he wants. Yeah. That's yeah, that's the dream. Yeah. Um, Talk to me a, a little bit about um, you alluded to this. So I, I think you you grew up in L.A. Although you were I born uh, in what uh, Austria, Vienna. yeah. yeah. Um, so were you like the like ten or twelve year old that was running around with like a Super Eight camera? Or um, I was. was I obsessed? went through a yeah. I went through a phase. I was that kid uh, right after Star Wars. Um, I sort of would run around with a Super Eight camera, and I would you know put together little short movies, and I would we had to put put together plays as well. Um, so I did that and then I kind of fell out of it, out of the movie thing. I mean, I still liked movies, but I fell out of thinking I wanted to make movies until I was in high school. Got and it. then I sort of caught the bug again. My parents split up and my time spent with my dad was going to the movies. So we would get together, you know, twice a week and we'd see everything. And so suddenly I was seeing, you know, like Scorsese's After Hours and Raising Arizona and these, and basically those movies sent me to 
film school. Totally. And, you know, uh, many uh, you know, know of your filmography was predated by some of the most influential music videos uh, at the time. I mean, was that – and that was a significant pr- probably period of your life where you were Absolutely. doing commercials and music videos. Yeah. Um, was the goal aspiration always during that time get me to the movies? This is this is fun while it lasts, but I want. Yeah, you know, I, I I never intended on doing music videos. I was I always thought of myself as a movie guy, and I went to film school. You graduate thinking like, all right, I'm going to direct a movie, and suddenly you go, wait, who who the fuck's going to hire me? <laughs> and uh, you know, you you suddenly find yourself working on a crew. And I was an AC, and then I lucked into music videos because I had a friend who had a small record label. Yeah. And he asked me to help make a video, and that led to another and another and another. And, and then the next thing I knew, I had this kind of great, really fun career doing, doing videos. And I spent 10, 12 years doing it, which I'm actually really grateful for. It gave me a sort of a real, you know, it was like going to school for, for filmmaking, dealing with personalities and equipment oh and effects and trying different things and shooting in different countries. And you just sort of get all of that, all, all of that out of your system. Yeah. So by the time I made my first movie, I had already had 350 plus shoot days under my belt. Well, and, and yeah, you alluded to this, but like, yeah, sure. Your first movie, you're working with Keanu Reeves, but you'd already worked with like you know, Beyonce and Janet Jackson. Like these are the biggest personalities and, you know, big egos. That's yes. not a negative I'm saying, but like these are, you know, notoriously uh, performers have very uh, specific ideas of the way they want to be presented. So sure. you got a good schooling and sort of how to deal with every kind of personality, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. And how also, I mean, you know, for the most part, I have to say the people I worked with were pretty great. There were a couple of people that were relatively horrendous. Um, most were great, including the people you just said, okay, I have good. to say they were actually pretty nice, pretty nice people. Um, but often they're not quite as professional as actors, right? So they're often very late and, and you're having to sort of figure out how to kind of bob and weave and still get what you need to get to make a great video yeah. around these, you know, slightly irresponsible people, I would say. Was there was there a close call? There must have been a few, I would imagine, before Constantine. Any that almost came to pass as your debut feature that you were no, really psyched about? Or no? no, I mean, I had a few meetings. There's some things that I wanted. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a, a bullet that I dodged, actually. It was one of the things that I went out for that I didn't get was Catwoman. Oh, my God. <laughs> Not that it would have turned out the same as that Catwoman. Yeah, I would hope. Um, but, yeah, I went out for Catwoman, and they turned me down, and they gave it to this French director, Pitoff. Yes. <laughs> and then I remember they hired me on Constantine and not Pitoff. Pitoff was going for, for Constantine. <laughs> You've lived parallel lives, you and Pitoff. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know what's I was going to say, I haven't heard of Pitoff lately. Yeah. I wish him well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> amazing. Um, so have you – so you're, you're already you know, hedging your bets. Obviously, you're, you're not going to count your – what? chickens until they've come home to roost or whatever I don't know what the analogy is but um but interested in exploring more stories in this uh, about this character in particular I yeah. imagine that's the the germ of it right um have you and you have Jen have, have talked about other projects too I mean I remember the dive was something was that something you yeah guys were I'm not about? doing that anymore I, I I sort of I feel like I couldn't crack that one yeah we did talk about that for a while um she and I didn't collaborate on it very much but it was an idea that interested her so I was I was working on it with some people and trying to figure out if I could do it but it's a, uh, I mean, it's a very interesting world, and there's some interesting characters, but I just couldn't find the, the story that was sort of compelling enough for me to say, yeah, that's where I want to spend my yeah. next two years. I remember that's been around forever. I remember talking to like James Cameron like a decade yeah. ago about that. It's still at his company. Is it? Yeah, it was his company. Um, is there is there some way you'd like want to? 
collaborate with with Jennifer that in a way that we haven't seen her a kind of a role, whether it's a specific project or just sort of like knowing her as well as you do and knowing her versatility and her skill set. Um, I don't know, something that, that you think could challenge her in a different way and also excite well, you. Well, that was part of what was exciting about this, about Red Sparrow, was to go, okay, we just spent five years, you know, collaborating on the same character over and over and over and over and over again. Right. And, you know, uh, again, she has not the longest attention span. And so she, I think, you know, honestly, she was a little bored with it, yeah. um, which is understandable after, you know, five years. And so part of what was exciting was to say, let's do something completely different, you know, speak differently, look differently, move differently, yeah. train for some, you know, special ability, the dancing and the ballet, do that, push yourself into different kind of tunnel and emotional territory. That was really fun. Um, I'm sure we could find something else to do. It's yeah. like that. I mean, we've talked about doing something that's, let's say, uh, an uglier role of some kind. Okay. Um, there's nothing, I mean, I've got something in the back of my head, but I won't <laughs> okay. say what it is yet, but yeah, yet. Okay. I mean that, but that would be fun. Something that's, is, is there anything to, uh, again, just looking at other things that have come up across your way. Uh, the Odyssey was discussed at one point, I think as recently as last year, Battlestar Galactica, which mm-hmm. I, as a kid was, I mean, and even the recent iteration. I know, that's the first set I was ever on was Battlestar Galactica. What? Wait, I was a huge fan when I was a wait, kid. Wait, the original? Like the, yeah, the original, <laughs> the original. Yeah, no, I was a huge fan of that show when I was a kid. And I grew up in the Valley and they were shooting one of the episodes at Cal State Northridge because they have this kind of 60s modern library they were using for, you know, a building on another planet or something. Amazing. And my mom took me down there and I remember getting to try on a Cylon helmet. I mean, some of the production design on that original show and I think it started as actually a film. The pilot was also in theaters, as Mm -hmm. I recall. Um, I think think it's still, I mean, like, does it hold up? But it's, it's, there's an... There's an iconic nature to some of that yeah. stuff that I really appreciate. Is that something that's still developing? You'd be yes. intrigued by? Yeah, that we're still working on. We're still still trying to, to crack that. But no relation to the, the Ron Moore uh, no. show? Got it. No, it's not connected to that. It's a sort of standalone. It's its own piece. Got it. Is it can you say anything about the germ? I mean, there's, I, I understand what the germ of the idea probably is that it intrigues you, but like what you'd want to retain about that original story or, or show that... You'd be excited to bring to the. No, I don't want to. I don't want to sort of delve too much into the development of it, but it's just you know, there's a lot of I think relevant themes to today that we can explore in the world of Galactica. There you go. Okay. Well, here's hoping to that one again. Yeah. As a fan of yours and a fan of that. that story that's that definitely intrigues me um well i wish you the best of luck on this one i really i was very much entertained by this it's it's uh yeah there there's there's a lot to chew on in this and i'm excited for audiences to see this and kind of like i don't know what they're expecting but to sort of see that's the trick right now what i'm finding is that i think people right in in the world today are expecting um action and and it's and it's not. It's not it, well, it's <laughs> no. all action. I, it, it, there's tension. There's, yes. con, there's sustained tension and excitement. You're not going to be bored, I guarantee. But uh, yeah. Yeah, no. and I also think people aren't expecting it to be as rough as it is. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't. Uh, I mean, all of your stuff is, is adult in some nature, but it, this, is, this is a different level. Yeah. Uh, which is a good thing. I, I, uh, I give it a thumbs up. And I encourage people to check it out on March 2nd. Have I March got that 2nd, right? Okay, yeah. Excellent. Red Sparrow. Uh, it's always good to catch up with you, man. Thanks for Thanks. visiting my, my silly office. Absolutely. And on to the next one. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. 
I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>